You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for August 30th, 2020, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend John M. Kennedy III. It's based on Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Good morning. It's so good to be with you again, if only virtually. Justin, Father Justin already gave me a good introduction, so I'm glad I don't really need to do that myself, but so great to be back home at St. Mark's preaching. Uh, It's my first time preaching as a priest, so it's a special occasion for me, but anyway, enough about that. Uh, As the preacher for this Sunday, I was presented with a bit of a dilemma because there are two readings appointed for this Sunday that are really two of the most compelling uh, among Scripture. The first is the story of the burning bush and Moses that we just heard, and the second is the gospel that was just read. And I love both of these, so choosing was really difficult. But the decision was actually sort of made for me. A few days back, earlier this week, I was driving down here from Kent, and I was on Route 7 near Wilton, or in Wilton, and I came up behind a truck, and this truck had some writing on the back of it. It said, before you cut me off, and here we have the letter B, the number four, the letter U, before you cut me off, see Matthew 16, 23. And that, of course, is part of the gospel for today, which covers Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. Verse 3, or verse 23, rather, is where Jesus says the famous words, Get behind me, Satan. So that was the trucker's message for the people behind him, and I wonder how many of them got it. I know I certainly did. In this passage, with the beloved St. Peter, the rock of the church, being referred to by Jesus as Satan, presents Jesus, I think, at his most compelling and challenging in some ways. So let's get into it. Right before this passage, Simon, as he was called, had just declared Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus praises him for his faith and his perception and renames him Peter, the rock on whom, or on whose faith, that's another conversation, the church is built. And a shout out, major shout out to Rob Schwartz here for preaching an excellent sermon on this last week. So now we have the immediate aftermath of this kind of pleasant and edifying scene, we have Jesus now beginning to talk about his upcoming death on the cross. I mean, he wasted no time, and his disciples are probably thinking, well, what the heck, man? Couldn't you wait a little while before getting into that? I mean, talk about being a buzzkill. The text says that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering and be killed and on the third day be raised. So the newly renamed Peter quickly steps forward in reaction to this and confidently proceeds to put his foot in his mouth, as was his custom. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. This is a bit of a strange exchange here because Peter calls Jesus Lord, obviously indicating his deference and devotion to Jesus, but At the same time, he presumes to correct Jesus. There is real dissonance, and this no doubt reflects the dissonance going on in Peter's mind. 
The Messiah, after all, was not supposed to suffer and die. He was supposed to be a winner, not a loser. However, Jesus is not deterred. After Peter rebukes him, Jesus turns away from him. So let's say Peter's here. Jesus kind of goes like this, it seems, and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Now this is about as strong as a reprimand as we can expect to hear from Jesus. I mean, after all, it's not like he was going to let loose a bunch of swear words at Peter. Satan, of course, is the power of darkness opposed to God. In Hebrew, Satan literally means opponent. So, pretty strong words from Jesus. And why, why does he use these words? Why does he call Peter Satan? Well, Peter, like Satan earlier in this story, when Jesus is out in the wilderness, in the desert, being tempted, being tested before his ministry begins, he encounters Satan, and Satan is trying to tempt him away from his calling to be the servant of God who will save the world. And in a similar way, Peter is really doing the same thing, trying to divert Jesus from his divine calling. And God has a calling for each of us. And it's a call for us to live and to grow into our true self or our divine human potential, if you will. But Satan is the power that is opposed to this growth and seeks to thwart us at every turn. Later in the New Testament, in the first letter of Peter, the very same Peter we're talking about here, he writes, Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Now, speaking to the pervasiveness of Satan's campaign to take us off course, C.S. Lewis had this to say, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second, is contested territory claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Jesus knew this, and he was vigilant. So he says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me, which can also be translated, you are a hindrance or obstacle, or even you are an occasion for sin. Jesus heard Peter's voice here as an obstacle to his fulfillment of God's will. Jesus goes on to name the cause of Peter's error. He says that you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Or you are thinking not as God does, but as humans do. So Peter's perspective here is off. And yet, of course, his perspective is entirely reasonable, natural, and understandable. He doesn't want Jesus to die, and and who could blame him for that? Peter here is nothing if not relatable, because even with faith, it's often hard for us to see the whole picture, to think as God thinks. St. Augustine wrote, When I first knew you, God, You made me see that there was something to see and that I was not yet able to see it. But while Peter's situation is relatable and human and therefore one we can have compassion and patience for, 
There's also a danger of becoming complacent and conveniently mistaking our ways for God's ways. Again, in the words of C.S. Lewis, when natural things look most divine, the devil is just around the corner. This is perhaps why Jesus calls us to go beyond the purely natural. He says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He calls us to deny our purely natural self, in some sense to put it to death. That is to put our egocentricity to death, the part of us that's always thinking in terms of I, me, and mine. You know, oh, this is my life, and these are my plans, and that's my car, and this is my phone, and that's my family, and this is my church. I heard my friends were planning something. I hope they invite me. I wonder if anyone will ask me what I have to say. That sort of thing. It's not that this sort of ego level of thinking and operating is bad. It's just that it's incomplete. It's a partial view of reality, but it often mistakes itself for the whole thing. And so it needs to be humbled. It needs to be put in its place. The problem with living from the ego is that it places us as the center of existence, which is, of course, just not true. From an egocentric way of being, our primary concerns are self-preservation, protection, security, etc. We become sort of obsessed with ourselves and our place in the world, and this becomes a life dominated by fear, fear of real, imaginary, or exaggerated threats, all threats to our sense of self, our ego. And perhaps we can see some of this in Peter's disorientation in response to Jesus' words. Because Peter was expecting a triumphant Messiah, one who would really improve the circumstances of his life and the circumstances of the life of his people. And equally, Peter had developed a deep love and attachment for Jesus. So Peter feels threatened by Jesus' words. He's afraid. And again, it's not that the ego is bad. It's not that it was bad for Peter to have these thoughts and feelings. It's just that this is a limited level of operation. And God calls us again and again to go beyond it, to see the bigger picture, to see the divine picture. There is, of course, a place for healthy fear, and that feels especially worth noting nowadays in a time of pandemic and other real threats. But unhealthy fear is what we get when our ego is in command. And this is toxic not only for us, but for our world. Jesus revealed this toxicity of fear in his crucifixion because it was the egocentricity of the religious and political leaders who themselves were ruled by fear that perceived Jesus as a threat and put him to death. So there's a real irony there because Jesus is life. And so this is telling us that in our confusion about what life really is, we not only turn away from life, we actually destroy life. Fear is Satan's great tool. And so in a real sense, our natural self or our ego must die if we are to become fully alive in Christ. Again, in the words of Augustine, my life and my ego are not one and the same. Of myself, I have lived wickedly, but through you, God, I am alive again.
And so Jesus says, those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. There is a fullness of life available in Christ that is so much more than we are often able or willing to imagine. But to lay hold of that, we must first surrender ourselves entirely to God and say, get behind me, Satan, to all that tempts us away from this. It's so important for us to learn to starve the ego and feed the soul. And yet it often seems that just about everything in our culture is geared to do the opposite. So what in your life feeds the ego and starves your soul? What things are tempting you away from the life that God is calling you to? To what do you need to say? Get behind me, Satan. It could be so many different things. It could be too much time listening to messaging and politics of fear. Perhaps it's social media. I mean, if there is anything in the history of the universe that is geared to feed our ego while starving our soul, it might be that. Perhaps it's an addiction or a destructive habit or a tendency to gossip or speak poorly of others. Perhaps it's a grudge you've been carrying. Or perhaps it's this deeply ingrained habit that so many of us have of comparing ourselves to others and deciding what we should do and what we should be based on what other people do, think, or expect. Perhaps there are even some good things in your life that are nonetheless distracting you from God. Well, let us not settle for anything less than the fully alive life in Christ that God has for us. Let us say no to fear, no to that old conditioning. Let us say, get behind me, Satan, to all of that, and say yes to growth, and yes to the way, the truth, and the life that is in Christ and is Christ. May you offer yourself daily to him as a living sacrifice. He will accept your offering and give you back so much more. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.